You're listening to Next Level E-Commerce. There's a really a, a disruptive revolution that's happening right now. We should not underestimate what's going on here. It all hits so fast. And I just looked at them all and I'm like, this is it. This is like, I've made it. I had a victim mindset. It's like, I only had one option. Now I, I, I'm like the opposite. I'm like, F the hustle. I don't want to hustle ever again. Eight months before I sell my business, Amazon tells me, you're going to shut down your account. You have 30 days. If you really want to build generational wealth, leverage other people's money, and continue buying, exiting, buying, exiting. Each week, we feature inspiring stories from entrepreneurs who have taken their business to the next level. They share successes and failures and what kept them going when they felt like giving up. And here's your host, Isaac Smith. All right, everybody. Welcome back. I'm excited to have you here and I'm excited for this episode that we've got for you here. I have uh, somebody who you're going to love his story. His name is Jesse Weinberg and we have been talking in recent episodes this year about buying and selling businesses and Jesse recently sold his e-commerce business and um, we're going to hear all about that. We're going to we're going to get into Jesse's story and um, why and how he sold and uh, things that he learned, as well as, of course, the, how he built up a business that was worthy of selling. And so I'm very happy to have on the show with me, Jesse Weinberg. Welcome, Jesse. Thanks, Isaac. Great to be here. Yeah, so um, you have a pretty cool story. I mean, I'm I'm always... Anybody who has the, you know, built the business up and sold it to me, that is always cool. Um, And we've talked a bit previously. And so I'm really uh, excited to sort of just dig into into your story and your backstory. So I guess we can start with, like, what were you doing before e-commerce? Yeah, so I've always been an entrepreneur. So I was... um, I founded and was operating a marketing agency before e-commerce and um, and my family had moved, uh, decided we were going to try out moving from the U.S. To, to Thailand. So we came to Thailand for sort of a trial visit and um, I was still doing my marketing agency and it was very uh, difficult. I was, I was working with a lot of corporate uh, marketing uh, departments, um, and it was very difficult to be taking uh, conference calls in the middle of my night. Um, so I sort of uh, imagined something different. And since I was in Asia, sort of near China and Vietnam, where all the manufacturing happens, I thought, oh, wow, it might be an interesting uh, opportunity to, to get into e-commerce, which was something that I had heard about, but didn't really, really know much about. And what year did you move to Thailand? Yeah, we we came in around uh, uh, at the end of 2017, early 2018. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and you told me before. I forget. You live in Chiang Mai, is that right? Chiang Mai. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. What brought you out there in the first place? Well, you know, my wife and I, we, we've always loved to travel. So we've been kind of all over the world. My, my previous business was actually a travel-focused marketing agency and content website. 
Um, okay. And we had we had been to Thailand and Chiang Mai before and really liked it and always sort of thought it would be a cool place to live. So we just kind of made the made the jump. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. so you've been there like five years now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Does it yeah, feel like almost. home? It, I mean, yeah, pretty much. It's like we've, you know, my son goes to an amazing international school here and we've got a, a great community and, you know, there's, it, it does. I mean, you know, there's, there's elements of being, a, a, you know, in a foreign land and a foreign culture, obviously, but, but, you know, uh, I would say that, that, yeah, like the longer we're here, the more and more it feels like home. That's cool. I want to hear more about the marketing agency. So it's a travel. Can you tell us about like, so what were you doing? Yeah. So it was, um, it was, a, a like a digital platform that accepted user generated content. Um, and, uh, people, it was like primarily photographers or writers or designers would, uh, would be able to submit content uh, about the place they live. And we called it, uh, the website was called Global Yodel. So people would submit like a little interview and photo series about the place that they lived. Um, and it was like a, uh, it was like a, it was looking at the world from a local's perspective. Um, and so that was the sort of the, the content portion of it. And then to monetize it, uh, I launched a marketing agency and did a lot of marketing campaigns with like large fortune 500 travel companies like Hilton hotels or airlines or, or, or that sort of thing. Um, yeah. I don't understand this at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's complicated. It, it's, 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 uh, yeah. Um, it's complicated, but <laughs> so, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, I, I understand having a travel site, right? Yeah. I know people who have blogs or other travel related yeah. businesses and they make money in various ways, but I don't right. understand the connection between what I assume that was something like the first thing that you told me. I don't understand the connection with a marketing agency. What, what's got the it. connection here? Yeah, got it. And, um, and, so, and, and I guess maybe tell me a little bit about the marketing agency side. Like, what were you doing? Sure. Yeah. So, so the that whole business started as a as a content website, um, and then, you know, we started. You know, we're, we were receiving submissions from people all over the world, and this was sort of at the beginning of the influencer marketing craze. So, um, or the sort of the, the keyword in influencer marketing. And so, uh, because we had all these like really amazing photographers and content creators submitting to the website, um, there were a few like, uh, uh, corporate marketing agencies such as Hilton hotels or airlines or travel guidebooks that reached out to me and they were interested in collaborating with our, um, contributors um to uh to do sort of branded content and so okay. you know it start that happened a few times and um and we sort of just did little collaborations and then that was when i kind of realized the opportunity there and so i started sort of a, a 
sister uh, marketing agency to go alongside of it and really sort of branded the opportunity for you know travel clients to be able to sort of uh, connect with our audience um, uh, in a in sort of a very organic way and so the, the marketing agency was sort of a bridge between the uh, all the content creators we had on our platform and the different various brands that were trying to uh, you, you know market themselves and so it was sort of a bridge between those two um, uh, those two things yeah got it okay yeah I see that makes yeah. a lot more sense to me so you were okay and were you were were you co- coordinating them or were you just putting them in touch with the right people? Yeah, we were like, yeah, I was like designing um, and managing all the campaigns. Oh, um, okay. And, and managing both the, the brand's expectations and then the content creator's expectations and sort of, uh, yeah, the, the whole, we kind of, kind of doing a, a full service, um, uh, uh, offering to both the creators and the and the marketers yeah gotcha wow that's interesting so then when you decided to shift over to e-commerce um what happened to the the website and the marketing agency and all of that yeah i mean it was it was an interesting process because you know when i started the e-com stuff i just sort of originally the plan was just to go very lightly and have it be sort of a supplement to the income that was, I was, I was creating with the marketing agency. And so I was just sort of thinking to myself, okay, I'll just, you know, if I can just sort of have this e-commerce thing as a little side project, I would take a little pressure off having to, you know, take all the calls in the middle of the night since we were in in Asia and that sort of thing. Um, And the, the interesting thing is like you know my first couple products that i launched you know i was just expecting you know uh, this sort of slow growth but they did really well Mm. um (laughs) and i was like oh my oh my goodness this e-commerce stuff is like crazy and i couldn't believe how you know after all the legwork you do to kind of get a product live like on amazon or whatever marketplace or your own website how kind of after you after your product is there live, it's like you can be sleeping and it's selling. And (laughs) I thought that was just incredible. Um, And so what went originally as a side, uh, the idea of being a side project just to supplement the agency, I very quickly got super excited and realized the huge potential of e-commerce and, um, you know, sort of gradually within one year, uh, transitioned out of my marketing agency and into the e-commerce stuff full full time. It was sort of it wasn't expected, but it was it just organically happened, and it was just I just sort of fell in love with with e-commerce and all the the unique opportunity that that we have with e-commerce in this exact moment in time. Wow! And so then the agency did you just? Uh, wind it down to nothing or is is there any part of it still going yeah you know it's it's pretty much it's pretty much wound down right now um i'm actually talking with uh, a group of people who may be interesting interested in acquiring it we'll, we'll see how that goes but as of right now i'm 
I'm not actively managing it or, or spending any time with it. Um, so, you know, because of the sort of explosive growth on the e-commerce and, and how my interest just, just transitioned. Yeah. I just sort of let it, let it go. And now I'm trying to sort of, uh, move it to, to, to someone who can kind of really, you know, uh, give it the attention that it deserves. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Last question on that. So did, yeah. were you were you doing this solo or did you have a team or anybody helping you to to get the work done like so like could it be could it be going at a low level without you or anything like that Yeah yeah absolutely I mean I was the one that was it was just me doing the doing the marketing agency I had some uh, editors and uh writers for the content site but um you know, the interesting thing about that marketing agency uh, model was that, you know, it was that the person managing just has to sort of be the manager, right? There's the creators who are creating the content for the brands. And then there's the brands who are paying for this. And sort of my role independently was just to sort of keep both groups happy and to make sure that the the campaigns were designed to benefit the brands and to make sure that the creatives were, were happy and getting paid appropriately. And also, you know, as you know, with creatives, um, there has to be a certain level of, of management to make sure the deliverables are on time and, mm-hmm. and as everyone are expecting. So, so yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just, uh, just me doing, doing that. And, wow. and, uh, yeah. And when did you start, uh, I, when did, I guess not when did you start looking into e-commerce, but when did you launch that first project and see that explosive, surprising growth? Yeah, so I think it was uh, a, like early 2018 was when I launched my first e-commerce product. And, you know, I, I think I got kind of lucky with that first one in the sense that I just chose a product where there was a good sort of market fit for that very first product and um so with that little bit of luck i saw you know i mean it wasn't it wasn't crazy sales but it was it did it did quite well i mean i think it was selling like i don't know fifteen thousand dollars per month or something of course not knowing what i was doing i stocked out immediately and you know scrambled to get back into stock and then it was chinese new year so i couldn't you know it it sat out of stock for a, a while and then you know all the sort of trials and tribulations that a uh, Amazon or e-commerce seller goes through to sort of, you know, learn by error. But, um, but yeah, so it was, it was, you know, I, I chose a couple good products at first and then I kind of got humbled a little bit later and I chose a couple products that, that weren't so good and realized, Oh, this isn't that easy. <laughs> it's a, it's an amazing opportunity, but it's not, it's not, you know, it's not that easy. So Yeah. I don't know if I told you before. Um, I we we love to hear. We don't call them failures. We call them lessons learned. And um, so, why don't you? Can you tell us? You know how how did those couple of lessons come about? Um, was it that you thought you knew what you were doing, and really, oh, you just didn't understand really the the nuance? Um, I guess, take us through those, um, couple of products that didn't work out so well. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, and oh, sorry, one clarifying question: yeah. Are you selling on Amazon? Uh, only Amazon? Anywhere else? Yeah, I I sell on um, Amazon, uh, eBay, and Walmart, but prime uh, the majority of the sales are are via Amazon FBA, um, and then and a, a small am amount via uh, you know Shopify as well. Okay, and at this point, uh, were you across all those channels, or was it just Amazon? No, at the at the time of starting, it was just Amazon FBA. Um, uh, no, no other marketplaces to, to begin. Um, and yeah, to, to answer your question about the, the challenges is, you know, I think to, to sort of look big picture, I think when you, you know, selling on, on Amazon FBA, um, success or, or failure, um, kind of comes down to product market fit to some degree. And, um, I think, you know, when I chose my first couple products, like I said, I got, I got kind of lucky, you know, I, I had done a bunch of research about how to do, how to do product selection research online. And, you know, there's a bunch of, of tools out there that are available that, you know, give you sort of a opportunity score and this and that. Um, and so I, I chose a few products with, with sort of an educated guess and they, they did quite well. And then I chose a few products that that didn't didn't do well and i think what i realized then at that moment was wow this is a huge opportunity um this business model is is incredible like i've never seen anything quite like it but i also realized that that you know which product you choose to take to market has a huge um impact on uh the, your success or quote unquote failure and I think that like, um, so, so yeah, so I think that like, you know, as a, as an Amazon seller, there's a lot of things that people talk about. There's, you know, there's PPC, there's, there's, uh, SEO and listing creation, making you, making sure your listing is optimized and all the keywords are in there and making sure you have a plus content and making sure your PPC campaigns are super, super targeted and super optimized and that you're always in there fiddling with everything. And don't get me wrong, all these things are absolutely crucial to being a successful seller. But I think that like these are all just sort of um, fine tune, fine tuning things. And that really when it comes down to it, um, the uh, product that you select and the fact and and um, the product that you select, and if it has a good market fit, meaning like, is there decent um, uh, demand for your product, but not very much competition? I think if you can kind of um, tap into that, the other stuff doesn't matter as much. For example, you could probably take if you found the perfect product market fit, you could you could design a product, improve upon it, take it to market. And you could have a terrible listing, terrible photos, <laughs> terrible PPC or no PPC, and your product would still likely be very successful just because there's a lot of people buying it and a not and no competition or very limited competition. So um, that's sort of a long-winded way of saying, uh, uh, of sort of expressing the importance of a product market fit. Wow.
Yeah, this is very interesting. There's a lot we can talk, we can talk about here because I do have a lot of. I'm always very curious uh, about the different perspectives out there, and we'll get into this in a little bit. But um, I guess just to um, foreshadow, um, you know this this topic of branding um, versus using the for you know the formulas that everybody knows, uh, um, but so let's, I guess, um, give us a kind of the high level overview and however much you're, you want to share about, you know, niches or products or whatever, um, wh where, over how long, uh, did you run this business and, um, yeah, how long did it take you? What did you ramp up to in, in terms of, I don't know how many products you had or, or SKUs or, um, yeah, yeah. What, what did you end up doing with this business? Yeah. So I, I ran that business for, I think about three and a half years before I sold it. And, um, it was doing a bit over, uh, 2 million in annual sales at the time of, of selling it with a sort of strong growth and product pipeline. Um, and uh, there was, I think there was about 35 SKUs um, at the time of, of selling it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good work, man. And you sold it, that was earlier this year, right? Yeah, earlier this year. Exactly. Like uh, around what, what, what month? February. February. Okay. We, clo we closed in February. I think it went to market in uh, December. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, congratulations, man. That's just super exciting. Thanks so much. Appreciate that. So 35 SKUs. Um, what was the distribution in there? Like towards the end, did you, you know, there's of course the 80, 20 principle. Is that how it shook out with you? Or did you have like, um, you know, a handful of strong sellers, that'd be the 80, 20, or was it more evenly distributed across the products? Yeah, in the, for for this catalog, it was it, it was actually fairly distributed across the products. There were a couple SKUs that that did more, but it definitely wasn't an eighty twenty scenario. Wow, um, it was pretty like it was pretty sort of steady uh, across across all SKUs. Um, yeah, well, that's very interesting, and I think probably somewhat unusual. Do you, do you get that sense as well? Yeah, you know, I've I've talked to different people who who sort of have different, you know, their catalogs look different. I definitely have, you know, seen and talked to a lot of sellers or brands who who do have a couple sort of hero skews that kind of uh, lead everything else, and then everything else is just sort of supplemental to that. Um, so I think it could be somewhat somewhat unique. So for these these products was it all like um was it all one brand geared to one target audience or was it more um yeah was it a more than one brand or how how was that how did that work for you yeah so you know when i started i didn't really know what i was doing obviously and um you know i started just sort of adding products somewhat randomly that i felt like 
would would sell. And I wasn't thinking about brand. I wasn't even thinking about exiting or or anything like that. You know, for the first year, I was just sort of learning. And I was sort of lucky enough to have chosen products that were in somewhat of a cohesive niche. Um, and so, you know, it ended up kind of kind of falling falling in a couple general buckets and it was just one brand and it was it was kind of focused in home and garden um Mm. and so you know i just kind of got lucky in that sense where you know after i realized that i had a you know a successful business that 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 would be attractive to to buyers i was just kind of lucky that the products had had somewhat of a of a cohesion so Would you, could you imagine, or I I mean, did you see it happening where, you know, you might get repeat customers buying different items and so that you you could end up cross-selling and upselling? Yeah, there was, there was some of that, but, but honestly, you know, uh, you know, since it was just primarily FBA focused there, you know, occasionally like it would be like, uh, buy with this suggested item that would show on mm-hmm. Amazon. But I think generally each product just kind of stood alone and there wasn't a wow. whole lot of like cross selling and, you know, didn't even have like a, an email list or anything like that for, for remarketing to customers. I think, I think that was the the plan of the the buyer was to start, you know, uh, developing some customer lists and, and, and remarketing and that sort of thing. But at the time that I sold, that wasn't really together well dude i gotta tell you that is super exciting and and that this this is going to generate a great discussion um because i can't tell you like you know the the narrative out there and i don't disagree with it i i kind of believe it which is um amazon in particular but e-commerce in general has become so competitive and consolidated that the old way when i'm listening to you you know those early days of choosing products it sounds very much like what i heard everybody talking about you know five six seven years ago and you know there's the what was it the uh, um, amazing selling machine or whatever that course was that everybody Uh passed copies around of um But, you know, there was a formula and and everybody that I knew used the same formula. You look at bestseller, you know, bestseller rankings. You looked at the reviews. You you know what I'm talking about, I'm sure. Um, Absolutely. But then there came a point where that became harder and harder and harder. And even I did that. I sold. um, uh, Did I tell you this last time? I think I might may have. But yeah, yeah, I I sold. I, I I tried to sell um, mandolin slicers, which for those listening, that's a vegetable slicer that slices thin slices of, well, vegetables. And um, my gosh, <laughs> uh, we had to sell my grandma's house after she died. And there were boxes and boxes of 800 of those still in the attic because I couldn't get them to sell. Uh <laughs> So you you hear you know what I mean. Right? There was a time when that would have worked, but when I did yeah. it, it was too late. So so there's this narrative now of if you want to be in e-commerce, if you want to sell on Amazon, you've got to think a 
a lot harder about who your customer is, about your branding. And, and by branding, they don't mean necessarily what the logo looks like, but you know, the problem that you're solving with the product, how you message it, you know, um, all of that stuff, because those old formulas just don't work anymore. What do you have to say about that? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's truth to, to everything that you said. I think, you know, branding is important. Um, I think, you know, having a, you know, a, a valuable product uh, is, is important. I think, um, you know, brand cohesion, I think all those things are important, um, definitely. And I think, so I think there's, there's truth to that. Um, and I also hear a lot of people saying that, you know, Amazon isn't like it was, uh, five years ago where it was super easy or it wasn't, you know, I think I started around four years ago and yes, it's, it certainly has changed a lot over four years. However, you know, there is still, in my opinion, there is still so much, much incredible opportunity, um, for the sort of. FBA private label brand uh, business model that like, you know, after I sold, I was, my plan was to take a break and sort of regroup and think about what I was going to do next. And I just couldn't like, couldn't take a break because I just saw all this crazy opportunity in unique product uh, categories. And I, you know, obviously in five years from now, it's going to be even more difficult or or change but i just i think that the the narrative that you know it's too it's too competitive and the that there isn't isn't great opportunity is just false i think while yes sellers are becoming more sophisticated and yes there's more and more sellers and you you have to do things better there's also more buyers and e-commerce is just growing at such a rapid rate that like that the the opportunity is is as good as ever right now. Wow. That is super encouraging. <laughs> yeah. And and back to your question about about the importance of of, of branding I, I, and and also my sort of philosophy on product selection. I w- I want to say too that like you know, when I hear people talk about their business success or what you have to do to be a successful Amazon seller or e-commerce seller, I hear people speak in a lot of absolutes. Like you have to do this, yeah. this, this, and this, and that is sort of your success or, or your failure. And I think that that is false. And I think that like what is really what what what's really interesting is there's a lot of different philosophies and a lot of different business strategies and different business styles that can be very successful. And it just depends on, on who you are as a, as an operator and what your, what your goals are and what your strengths are and what your interests are. And I think, I think that like, you know, it's not my way or the highway or it's not someone else's way or the highway. It's sort of like, there's a lot of ways that you can go about it to be successful. So when I speak about this, this is what has worked for me but this and is going to work again i'm i'm very confident but this definitely isn't isn't the only way Hmm. yeah yeah i like that i think um 
a lot of times narrative loses a lot of nuance and the world seems to be nothing but nuance. Um, so I like that. Yeah. So I have some questions for you. Well, first of all, yeah. I guess, um, why did you sell? What, uh, yeah, what made you decide you want to sell your business? Yeah, well, you know, I, I had no intention of selling it or no thought that it, it was even a, a saleable asset. Um, uh, and then sort of, you know, I read randomly read an article about this, uh, you know, the aggregator space. And this is when, you know, the aggregators were just sort of coming on the scene and, and buying up, you know, all these uh, uh, Amazon FBA businesses. And I started reading about it and, and kind of learning about it. And I was like, still at that point, I still didn't realize I had a, a, a sellable asset, but uh, I started, mm. re you know, learning more and more about it and, and being like, wow, I wonder if my business would, I would be able to sell it. And, you know, so I started, started reading some, uh, some more articles and books and, and talking to a few people and sort of realized that possibly that, that I, I could sell. And so I, I, you know, um, with that, I sort of considered it. And then I decided, you know, that if, um, that, that I would go for it, because as you know, when you're growing, when you're growing an e-commerce business, it's really cash flow intensive. And so if you want to continue to grow sort of from a bootstrap perspective, you have to drive, you know, a majority of your profits right back into uh, inventory reorders and new product, uh, orders and that sort of thing. So while my business was growing really fast and sales were, were, were growing nicely, you know, I was just constantly uh, reinvesting and even having to sort of borrow more money to, um, to deal with the, the growth to make sure that we had the inventory to support the sales growth. So, um, you know, that was a bit of a, of a challenge from a, from a cash flow perspective. Um, and, you know, I thought that if it was possible to sell the business, it would be an interesting time to sort of, to do that, take some, some chips off the table. Um, and then, you know, if I still wanted to continue on, I, I could do it with all the, the knowledge that I, that I learned from the first round and, and try to do it again, um, using some of the, the strategies, um, and um and philosophies that i learned on the first time to maybe do it a little faster a little more efficiently and create um something that was a bit more of a cohesive brand as opposed to sort of a collection of skews awesome so tell us about the sale what was the process like did it make you nervous um how did that go yeah, the, the the sale, um, the the process was 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 more uh, challenging than I sort of imagined, um, and um, I, you know, had some buyer seller calls, and I ended up working out um, after exploring some different avenues to take the business to market, I ended up working with a really great brokerage and a really great broker, which I would suggest to anyone selling for the first time, because there's, there's so many details that you just don't know until you go through it. 
um, a broker is someone who, you know, who in theory should have <laughs> uh, been doing this for, you know, five or 10 or however many years and has a lot of experience with, with sales. So I, I worked with a broker who, who created a really uh, nice presentation of the business and took it to market and had some buyer seller calls and um, fairly quickly with this, uh, with this broker, you know, we, we uh, we had an offer that we um, accepted. I think uh, uh, like a week after listing the business, um, and wow. then it went into the the due diligence phase for I think about forty five days, which was a which was a really intense uh, process. Um, and uh, the broker kindly sort of advised me after reviewing my books before we took it to market that, you know, my books were in cash accounting as opposed to uh, accrual. And so we discussed that we could probably have taken it to, to market with the books in the condition that they were in, but we decided to do a quick sprint and have the books rebuilt very cleanly in accrual marketing so that the financials were very were very clear um, and accurate and um, that was that was a learning experience uh, that you know this is sort of the unsexy stuff about about business but I at that moment I realized the extreme importance of having uh, a clean accounting and in accrual and um, having your books really buttoned down um, because everything will come out um, uh, in due diligence. And if there's any gray area, it will be found. And, you know, any sale uh, of this of this size and any business sale in general, it, it's a fragile transaction. It requires a lot of trust and a lot of math and a lot of logic. And if there are anything, you know, if there's anything uh, gray, you know, that is something that could could hurt the trust of the deal. And, you know, just because a, a business is in the, you know, a, a deal is in the due diligence phase doesn't mean it's going to close. Uh, you know, the buyer has the ability to back out if they see something they don't like or they don't trust or they don't agree with. So I think, you know, having really great books is really important um, for if you're going to sell, but also just very important if you're going to um uh, just just for operating and forecasting and, and understanding um, uh, all the financials of your business. Wow. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, it's good that you you learned uh, before, before you tried to take it to market. Um, so I guess for those listening, maybe um, the, the challenge that, so of course, everybody knows that I run a bookkeeping business. And the challenge, I'll be just totally transparent. The challenge of marketing a good bookkeeping service is business owners don't have a way of identifying. They don't know how to identify if their books are good or not. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So how now that you've gone through this process, how would you. I guess advise somebody listening who thinks, you know what, I think I want to sell my business uh, in the medium term, maybe six months, a year, two years from now. Um, how would they know if their books are good enough to sell or like, how do you advise them thinking about this? 
Well, that's a really good question. And, you know, we, the books that I had that weren't sufficient for going to market, they were, they were good books. I worked with a very good um, accountant. I worked with a very good CPA. So the books that we had, they, they were accurate. Everything was accounted for. Um, the one thing that I think that it was, it was missing is it wasn't in accrual. And um, the accountant that I worked with, she was a wonderful accountant and the CPA I worked with is also wonderful, but they don't have a, a huge depth of, of knowledge or background in this very specific e-commerce sort of FBA business model. And I think that like, what I would would recommend is having anyone um, who is thinking about selling take the books that they currently have, which may be may be great books and just fine from a tax reporting perspective or uh, operations perspective, but to take those books um, and show them to an e-commerce specialist accounting firm because there's a lot of nuance and a lot of um, a lot of specifics that uh, an e-commerce specialist accounting firm um, will do that that an, that another accountant may not. And I'm not an expert enough to really get into the details. I'm sure Isaac that you could you could <laughs> share more specifics, but just simple things like understanding that when you buy, you know, when you buy inventory, instead of like the moment you pay for the inventory that that goes on your books as a, as an inventory expense, you want it to be an accrual where you, where, you know, it's not showing up on the books until that product sells, that individual product sells. And then the portion of that cost of good that sells is then, you know, put on the books at that moment. So there's just a lot of little nuances like that, that I think are, are crucial. And I think by speaking with someone who is an e-commerce accountant, uh, accounting specialist, they can very quickly tell you if your books are 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 ready or 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 should be rebuilt or or adjusted in in some way. Yeah, yeah, that's. I think I think you nailed it. That's that's a very important thing. Um, and like you mentioned, I think there are a lot of great accountants out there, um, but there are like you said, some unique aspects to e-commerce bookkeeping that not everybody understands. Um, and especially when you're dealing with platforms like Amazon or Shopify, um, you know, making sure that you have the right, you know, those, they're going to pay you out a lump sum, you know, however often, every three days, every two weeks, whatever it happens to be. But you know, how many sales are in that deposit to your bank account and which items are they? And, you know, what are the fees in there? Like all of that stuff needs to be sorted out. And, um, you know, it, it is, it's a different beast than, you know, doing the books for a dentist. And so you do need to have different technology um, we use different tools like A2X, um, as well as, of course, like you mentioned, the inventory aspect of it. Um, for those, we don't need to get into like a deep dive how to do your books session here. But but basically, just so the, the listener understands, um, inventory is, tr is, is not treated as an expense. 
Um, you, so you actually need to put it on your balance sheet. Um, and so basically your, your books should treat that as this is cash, but it's in a different form. And so it's not an expense, like you said, until you, until you actually make a sale and then the single item portion of that inventory chunk of change that you sent out is then um, moved to your PL as a cost of goods. So like, yeah, I mean, it's just like, there's just, if you want to have a good set of books that a buyer is going to understand and is going to be a saleable, exciting business for somebody to buy, they need to be able to understand what's going on. And um, those are the, that's what a few things that it takes. Absolutely, very cool. Um, so, were there any other surprising things? So, so um, maybe one one surprise to you was just how important the numbers are. Um, was there anything else that was wasn't how you imagined at going through the sale, or? took longer than you thought or was more stressful than you thought or was way easier than you thought? Well, I, w I was lucky enough to go into a, a deal with a really great buyer and a really great group. So that made things just like so, so good. We had a lot of, of trust and honesty and, and great communication together. Um, so I feel really grateful for that. Even with that, you know, there was, there was, you know, the due diligence process brought up you know, different things. And it was, it, the due diligence process was, was fairly intense um, just because of all the, the documentation and um, everything that you are required to submit. And, you know, I understand why it's so important. If I was buying, you know, a business, uh, I would certainly be, you know, uh, want to check under every rock and every pebble to make sure there was nothing funny going on. So, uh, but you know, for for the seller, I felt like you know it was it was somewhat, uh, you know, when there was requests for certain documentations on certain things, you wanna you wanna uh, adhere to that as quickly as possible. But sometimes it's a lot to dig up all the different invoices here and there and and all those other things in addition to running and operating your business. So so that was a, a little bit uh, challenging during the due diligence process, but. Um, but it's all part of it and it's um, and it's it's understandable. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I should mention. So if you're listening and you want to get your books prepared to sell or if you just need your books done, of course, it was implied, but I'll make it explicit. Um, <laughs> we, my company can do your books. We are the e-commerce experts. Um, so if you want to reach out, reach out to me if, directly, or you can go to the website, summitecommerce.co. Um, so yeah, Summit Ecommerce Advisors is the name of my company. It, you know, it's funny. I don't say that a lot. I think everybody knows, but sometimes I find out, oh, well, you, you didn't tell me all the things that you do. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, okay. I gotta, gotta, gotta share more often. Yeah, that's um, great. So I don't think you mentioned who was the broker. Yeah. So I, I, um, 
I ended up going to market with uh, a broker. His name was Chris Wozniak, um, and he is with with Quiet Light, which is one of the the sort of larger uh, e-commerce and digital um, brokerages. Um, and had a I had a really great experience with with Chris, and uh, just really understood uh, why you know, Quiet Light has such a such a good reputation in the industry and that, you know, they have really amazing uh, processes and systems in place. They also have an incredible uh, list that they've developed over, you know, I, probably a decade or something of, um, of buyers. There's, I think there's sort of a joke in the, in the industry that if you, if your business if a business gets listed with quiet light, you know, every potential buyer is going to see it, which is a good thing if you're selling a business. Um, so yeah. Um, and, and also Isaac, I have one other, this is this something that I'd like to share with, with the listeners that I sort of wish I knew prior to taking my business to market as far as how to, um, uh, how to identify a broker to work with. I would say there's sort of three, um, there's sort of three uh, uh, categories that I would interview your potential broker on to understand. And those three things are one, um, how are they going to present your business to potential buyers? Are they going to just sort of write up uh, a quick uh, summary on a Word document, or is it going to be a really professional, detailed presentation that has, you know, different uh, financial analysis? Uh, is it going to be nice looking? Is it going to be professional? I think that's really an important consideration. So ask them how, you know, ask them for an example of their presentation. Uh, the second thing I would I would suggest is asking them how they will reach buyers, and this is this is important, and this sort of circles back to like an Amazon uh, 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 product listing, for example. It's like how is your uh, how is your product going to uh, be seen by potential buyers? And of course, you know the more keyword optimized and the the having your product on the correct platform and all these little things are are super important to the success or the failure of of your your e-commerce product. So similar with your business, you want to understand how your broker is going to reach potential buyers. You know, are they going to list it on one one website and hope it sells? Are they going to email a few people they created, you know, on a list that they created? Or, are, you know, have they been developing a list of buyers for five or 10 years? That, that's huge. You know, these are all important things. And the third thing I would suggest that you interview your broker about before you start working is their experience. Um, how long have they been doing this? Um, and, you know, have they, are they new to sort of e-commerce? Are they new to selling businesses? You know, just because someone has sold um, uh, an e-commerce business themselves doesn't necessarily mean that they are, um, you know, an experienced broker or know how to handle um, all the nuances. And, you know, there's a lot of, like I said earlier, um, these large business deals are, are fragile and there's a lot of different things that can go wrong um, throughout the process or a lot of hiccups. 
And it really helps to have an advisor or a broker, if you haven't gone through those things, um, who has a lot of experience and who has seen a lot of different things and knows how to navigate uh, those challenging situations. It's probably fine if your broker doesn't have experience, if you have a, you know, if your deal goes through quickly without any hiccups, but it's very rare that there's, that, that a deal of the size would go through like without, without any, any little hiccups. So I think, I think those th three things are important to summarize. How are they going to present your business? How will they reach buyers? And what is their experience? Those are three super important questions to ask your, uh, your broker before you contract with them. And I was lucky enough to work, like I said, with, with Chris from Quiet Light, Chris Wozniak, and uh, his experience and Quiet Light's processes, the whole, the whole experience was really, was really positive for me. So I'm really grateful to, to Chris and to, to Quiet Light for that. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, thanks for sharing. That's, that's hugely, hugely valuable, those, uh, those tips you shared there. Um, yeah, and shout out to Quiet Light. Those guys are great. Um, if the listener is interested, I had Joe Valley, who's one of the partners there on the podcast um, several episodes ago. You can scroll back in your phone and it'll pop right up. Um, you can hear from him. Um, speaking of Joe, uh, we've, we're, we've been talking. I know that you, so Joe wrote a book called The Exitpreneur. Um, and I know that you uh, you read that book before you went to to sell. Um, how like how important was that for you? And and um, and yeah, what did you learn there? Yeah, that the that book that you mentioned that that Joe Valley wrote it is like I would say it's a required reading for anyone who wants to to take their business to market. Um, it's uh, it's just it's got everything in it, and what's really great about it is it's geared specifically towards like e-commerce and content businesses. So it's extremely relevant to our sort of uh, unique uh, space that we're in. And it, like I said, it has every it has everything in it that uh, that you really need to understand about how the process will go and. And, and, you know, what you need to prepare and uh, what you need to expect. And so I would, I would highly encourage anyone to read that book. Um, it, it's, it's, it's really great. And I would say read it a year or two before you're planning to go to market because there's a lot of uh, nuance in there and a lot of things that, that you can begin preparing uh, well in advance of, of going, uh, of taking your business to market. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, actually we have a, uh, this is pretty cool. Um, I've, I have been in touch with Joe and the team there. Shout out to those guys and Chris, I haven't talked to, but sounds like he's doing great too. Um, they're allowing me to give away a, out to the listeners, a free digital version of the book, which that's, I mean, that's amazing. So, um, uh, if you want the book, you can get it for free. Uh, you can go to exitpreneur.io slash next level. Um, and you, you just put your email in and you get a free copy of the book, um, which I've, I've gone through it. It's pretty thorough. And uh, yeah, I think we'll learn a lot. Um, so yeah, I'll just spell that. It, the link will be in the show notes, but just in case you 
want it's exit e x i t printer p r e n e u r dot i o slash next level. You can get free copy. That's really cool. Um, wow! So you sold the business. Congratulations! <laughs> That's am- <laughs> amazing. What? So what's next? Um, I'm heads down. Uh, doing, doing, I'm heads down building a new e-commerce brand. Like, like I discussed earlier, I'm just super excited about the opportunity in the space right now. And I think, you know, there's almost, there's never been a greater time to build a private label, you know, FBA brand. So I'm, uh, practicing what I preach and, uh, and doing, I'm in, in sort of the weeds of product development right now. I've got, 10 products, uh, at, at sea launching soon and, and another, oh, wow. you know, 25 products in development. So just, just cranking away and, um, super excited about that. Um, and I'm also, um, uh, simultaneously, uh, running a, uh, you know, I was talking about the importance that I, I think there is around, uh, product selection and product market fit. And um, how that's, you know, the difference between success and failure on a specific SKU or even on a brand. And so with that, I've decided I'm, uh, that I, I launched a, uh, a, a product research and product selection consultancy. Um, and I'm, I'm quite busy with my, my e-commerce brand that I'm running. So I'm only taking uh, on a few clients per year, but that is the area of the business that I think I'm the most skilled at and that I think I can add the most value to others with. And it's also the part that I love the most. So it made sense for me to, to launch a, a consultancy around product research and product selection. So I'm doing... I'm doing that, and I have a website called Product Pearl. That's P-R-O-D-U-C-T-P-E-A-R-L dot com. And um, uh, if anyone's interested, they can they can check that out. Um, yeah, that's very cool, man. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. First of all, good luck on the the, the new products. I'm sure you're going to do great. That's really exciting. Launching something new. The question actually that I wanted to ask earlier, but uh, just didn't is so how, like, what, what are you doing? I mean, you may, uh, maybe you have a secret sauce, but like, what, how are you able to do this? Because every, you know, so many people I know are, are, you know, they're, they're not able to do it at the product market fit level, right? They're they're going at the marketing level. They're going at the brand level. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. like what what is yeah. it what is it that isn't working about, you know, the methods that everybody knows and what are you doing differently? Yeah, and and again, don't get me wrong, the marketing, the brand, the listing, those are all important and as time goes on they're even more and more important as things get more competitive but you know what what i'm doing isn't like a it isn't like a a rocket science um and there there isn't like a very particular formula however there is like a system and a philosophy that i've sort of 
developed. Um, and part of that philosophy is sort of what, you know, what a lot of the sort of standard courses and, and things have, have taught you, like learning to read BSRs and learning to understand sort of search volume on specific things. You know, those are all really crucial aspects to um, selecting the correct the correct product. However, you can't just use a, you know, one of the one of the popular product research tools out there, put a product in there, click, click, you know, compute and let it tell you what the opportunity score is. And if it's a nine, you say, oh, great, this is going to do well. And if it's a four, <laughs> you say, oh, this isn't going to do well. There's sort of like a I human definitely element. did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I did, too. And I and I did, too. And I, you know, I still use those tools, but with a grain of salt. And so, you know, there's this there's this sort of human element in there, which I think is where there's the disconnect, where you can't just use the sort of standard method that everyone's using, but you also you also have to um, sort of analyze from a from a human perspective. And I think the easiest way to sort of think about that is like, you know, after you do some, you know, after you sort of, you know, graduate a potential product, let's say to, a, you know, let's say, okay, you understand, you know, you understand generally how many sales this product has, and then you can kind of generally understand how many competitors this product has. And then you can kind of put yourself in the shoe, shoes of the customer and say, okay, for, this has pretty good sales. This doesn't have that much competition. Um, and then you can kind of take it a step further. And, and this is where I think, you know, the product development sort of bleeds in. I'm, I'm sorry, this is where the product research leads into product development. So you can say to yourself, okay, there, there's some exciting opportunity around this product. You know, there's, th this has some sort of medium to strong demand. Competition is not huge. Then you could say, as a customer, how could I improve this product or this product line to create something that, that as a customer, I would buy over everything else on the market. So then if you can kind of make those adaptions to the product, improve them, whether it's size, whether it's, you know, functionality, whether it's aesthetics, color, um, or even be a little bit more crafty and say, hmm, it looks like these products are really close to the Amazon to the to the size where Amazon takes it from standard size to oversized. Everyone's oversized, but could I improve the, you know, could I make the product a little bit smaller so it sits in a standard size small carton? And, you know, if you do that, then you all of a sudden have, you know, four or $5 more profit than any competitor. And then you can give those profits to your, to your, um, to your customers and then probably take a huge market share because your product, you could offer it for five or $10 cheaper than the competitors, stay profitable yourself and pass that value for your innovation onto your onto your customers, so there's there's a lot of a lot of nuance, um, um, and you know we would need a, a a few hours to really get into that. But I think it generally to summarize, it comes down to product market fit. Like, is there demand? Is the competition low enough to enter? And then can you can you do something that adds you know enough value um, to to your customer? where you can take that market share, whether it's cost or, or um, the product is significantly better functionality wise. Um, and so if you can easily say like, okay, if I put my improved product at a better price, 
um, that is, you know, looks better and performs better, then you can almost guarantee that you're going to take that market share. Um, and so that's, you know, without getting into all the all the nuances, that's that's it in a nutshell. Wow, amazing, man. Well, uh, Jesse, thanks so much. Uh, this has been the time has flown by. It's been great chatting with you. Uh, I will have those link the link to your website in the show notes, and as well as the the book and our website too. Um, so, Jesse. Yeah, good luck on your new ventures. I'm excited for you. Let's definitely stay in touch. Thanks, Isaac. It's been great chatting and look forward to, to staying in touch with you as well.